Welcome to Mission Impact, the podcast for progressive nonprofit leaders who want to build a better world without becoming a martyr to the cause. I'm Carol Hamilton, your host and nonprofit consultant. Mary Hyland brings over 40 years of experience to nonprofit leaders to create a paradigm shift about how to develop, develop an informed and inspired board that is truly an asset. Her mission is to help nonprofit leaders ignite and unleash the potential of the board, getting rid of the mindset that a board is a burden. Her deep expertise and hand-on experience, 26 years as a nonprofit executive and 17 as a board member, bring credibility and confidence to nonprofit leaders who know she understands because she's been there. Mary coaches and mentors executive directors and board leaders. She is a speaker and published author, and she has a weekly podcast, Inspired Nonprofit Leadership, conversations to inspire, inform, and support nonprofit leaders. Mary and I discuss the pivotal executive director-board chair relationships. We delve into why trust is so key and how to build it, what the focus of the board chair executive director conversations says about the relationship and how the two are leading the organization, and why it's important to introduce new board members to not only the organization and the role of being a board member, but also to yourself as executive director and not assume that they truly appreciate your background and expertise. Well, welcome, Mary. Great to have you on the podcast. Well, it's great to be here, Carol. It's always great to connect with you. So I'm curious, what drew you to the work you do? What would you say motivates you or how, how would you describe your why? Oh, that's a big question, but um, I've been in the field a really long time. So I'm going to address that mostly around the work I'm doing now as a consultant, because that's been the last 18 years. Um, I had a different why early on when I was much younger, but I see a lot of potential in the boardroom of nonprofits, you know, having been around for over 40 years in the sector. And I see a lot of challenges in the relationships between the executives and their boards. And I had great experiences in both of those scenarios. I had great boards and I had great relationship with my board chairs, for example. And it's, it's painful to me to see that things aren't as good as they could be. So I really want to support executives and board members to really reach the potential of those relationships and the functioning of the board. So I've, I developed a passion for that out of just hearing the stories and, and observing and knowing on the other side, what's possible, you know, seeing really powerful impact that that boards can have and, and executives who are just thrilled with their boards, believe it or not, out there. <laughs> yeah, and that executive director and board chair relationships is so key to really the effectiveness of the organization. What would you see say are some of the key elements that really can make that relationship successful? Well, it's interesting you should ask me that because I, I don't I think you know, but maybe not, that I did my doctoral dissertation on the relationship between the chair of the board and the executive director. And I was, there was no research out there then about the question you just asked, what are the critical success factors in this relationship? And I really wanted to learn about it. I didn't get all of 
the factors out, but there were two themes that came out in my interviews with board chairs and their executives. And this has held true uh, in all my observations since. The first critical success factor, which is probably no surprise to anyone out there, is trust. But what I found was that people don't always know how to build trust. They really don't know how to build relationships. I went into it thinking, everybody knows how to do that. You know, this is a natural thing, but it isn't for many people. So trust building, and I developed a model of trust building. We could talk more about that if you like, but trust building's really, really important. And there's different ways to build trust that you may not think of, and it's easy to lose, unfortunately. The other was when they're interacting with each other, one-on-one, but not necessarily in person, whether it's over the phone, not in email, but over the phone or Zoom now these days, or or in person, um, what are you focusing on in your conversation together? And there's a lot of options for that, as you can imagine. And there's different types of interactions that you're going to have. And the interactions can help build the trust, but the focus, some of the pairs were focusing just on the executive using the board chair as a sounding board and a lot of focus on the day-to-day operation. And then other pairs were focusing on more planning together. They were doing some of that sounding board stuff and day-to-day stuff, but then they were planning together and being strategic thinkers together. And then the final um, level of interaction and and, uh, topics and focus of what they were talking about was more, the best word I picked for this was leadership. They were actually leading together, thinking about how to engage with the community, thinking about how to engage the board so that there was this depth in the scope of what they talked about and focused on. So I don't want to go on and on and on about it, but I don't see too many board chair executives relationships where they're even thinking about how do we spend our time together? What do we talk about? What are the agendas? You know, it's probably the agenda for the board meeting, uh, maybe a problematic issue with the board member, uh, some other, you know, more tactical kinds of things, but which is not wrong. You need all of that, but it's trying to think a little more deeply about the quality of what you're working on together. So, so those so were going two back, themes. Excellent. Um, going back to what you initially said around building trust, um, I know a lot of folks now, um, you know, they may cringe when they when they hear the word trust building exercise, or may think that you're going to make them go out into the woods and right, do a, you know, <laughs> high ropes course or something like that. What are some kind of straightforward ways that I mean, what 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 in your um, experience are are the building blocks of of yeah. building trust? Yeah, well, that's a great question, and you're right about the in the woods. I'm not that kind of a person, <laughs> and um, I resisted this issue. Let me just share this one little thing. I resisted this in in my research because I said if I stand in front of some executives and board members and say, it's important to build trust, they'll look at me like, duh, did you have to go do a doctorate to learn that? 
but this this was the insight I learned was how. Let me just highlight a couple of different things that people may not think about. Um, I think we all have know that you know you can't be lying to people. You have to do what you say you're going to do. These are the things that people think about typically. One that I think is really relevant for executive directors, but also for board members, is competence. There's a type of trust called competence-based trust in my model. And, you know, you wouldn't hire a plumber to do the electrical work in your house. Now that seems very simplistic, but executives, how are you showing your board members that you are competent in your job? Now, when you're first hired, I tell executives, you probably gave them a resume, you talked about the networks that you have, uh, your, you know, your skills, your talents. But after you're hired, when you get new board members, do you do that again? Do you share your resume with them? How are you showing your board when you gain um, a new skill or you think get better at something or broaden your network uh, or, or just do some professional development? How are you sharing that? with people. And I know, you know, nonprofit executives can be very humble, which is great. I'm not talking about inappropriate bragging here. It's not inappropriate to demonstrate to people that that they can have confidence in your leadership, that they can have confidence in your skill set. So that goes both ways with board members helping executives understand that they're competent in their role as a board member. What kind of past experience have they had? what leadership experience. Yeah, it's a great point that you make that, you know, as when when folks are thinking about orienting new board members, I think most of the time they're thinking about orienting to the organization. You oh, know, yeah. Lots and lots of information about that. They often forget about orienting to the role of being a board member. But I think that other layer that you're talking about of, you know, that executive director basically orienting the new board member to themselves as well. Yes. And their background and what they're bringing to it and, 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 you know, not acting, acting as if the, the board member already essentially knows them. Right. It's right. Point. And, and I think that is a very uh, often missed opportunity for executive directors. The other one is giving feedback, you know, the communication trust, we probably think of as um, telling the truth, you know, but there are other elements of communication that help you build trust, other behaviors. And uh, one is, well, two, actually giving feedback, of course, in a constructive way. But the other is being willing to receive feedback. And, you know, it's really important for executives to be sensitive to the fact that if they come across defensive to their board, it's like saying to them, to the board member or the board chair, your perspective of me is not valid and dismissing it because you're defending yourself right out the gate. And that doesn't work. It doesn't mean you have to agree with their perception of you, but it means you need to hear it and you need to let them know you heard it. And then you can say, well, have you thought about looking at it this way? Or I have a different viewpoint on that. But that's not the same thing as being defensive out the gate. And when you're defensive and dismissing people, nothing is going to erode trust faster because they don't feel heard and they don't feel that you're hearing them at all in terms of understanding a different viewpoint. And they can't trust then that you're open 
to new ideas. The other is your willingness to give feedback because you're saying to that person when you do that, I believe that you are open to learning. I believe that you can grow and change. You're expressing confidence in them because you're taking the time to to share something that you've observed or experienced with them. And that can go a long way to build trust. So giving that honest feedback and giving it in a timely manner is really important because it also says, I'm invested in your success. And I'm sure you've seen Carol over and over again, the supervisor, the leader who waits and waits and waits when the new person joins their their workforce to give feedback that's negative because they feel, oh, they're just new. And they just dismiss it because giving negative feedback is uncomfortable. Well, think about it as a way you're building trust with that person. So, so that's another one that I think sometimes we don't think of. I and do. A lot have, of people don't don't really have a lot of skills around giving feedback. People talk about it a lot, but you know, it's not something uh, I don't know that I was taught in in college or or other places. No. Probably no. not until I was doing, you know, my my graduate degree in in organization development, where we really yeah. dug into like what is feedback, what's the purpose you know, it actually often says more about the person giving the feedback than the person receiving it, you know, how to, how to receive it. So in that instance where you, you know, said when someone's starting to get defensive and you, they can kind of feel that they're, you know, they're getting, uh, you know, they might be getting a little emotionally hijacked by the situation Um, for them to even think, you know, I'm just going to say thank you. And I'll think about this and, you know, come back to it later when, when they, right. you know, have a little more perspective and a little more distance right. from the right. instance that it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I think it's hopeful out there that we're spending a little more attention on relationships, uh, you know, whether it's driven by some of the horrible situations we've seen. Uh, but I think that it's very important part of growing and developing, particularly as a leader, Um, If it's okay, Carol, I do have a a trust building action plan that's free. If it's okay, I can tell people how they can get it. And it tells a little bit more about the types of trust and these uh, behaviors are available that are listed. So people can get that by going to my website. uh, Well, by going to Highland Consulting, that's H-I-L-A-N-D, consulting.org org slash trust building and if you go there you can just get that so get and that, we'll put trust that link in the plan. in the show notes as well oh that would be great because i think that's i created that to help people sure. broaden their perspectives about yeah. trust and and yeah. get some sense it's such a big it's such a big concept it's really helpful to have it kind of broken down into elements and and what are some behaviors what are some actions that you can take yes. to start working towards, um, yeah, building that trust. And, right. and then you also talked about um, kind of the different kinds of conversations that executives are having with their board chairs and, um, you know, kind of named, I guess, three different kinds, kind of that, that sounding board day to day is the, you know, planning that may then, you know, move to more of a strategic level. And then, the leadership level. And the first one that you that you mentioned around kind of the day-to-day, um, I mean, I think on one hand, you know, that executive director role can be a very lonely place where, mm-hmm. you know, executive directors don't necessarily have 
um, or may not have peers that they can reach out to, 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 to have those kinds of conversations. At the same time, I would imagine that when, um, if they're drawing their board chair into those kind of day-to-day conversations about what's going on, they're actually, while they may be training the board on, you know, your role is not to be involved in staff right. instances, they're actually drawing the board into that, but through that conversation. Um, yes. So, you know, oftentimes the, the kind of reports that people have in board meetings and all the different things that are kind of, you know, they, 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 you, they include, and then they wonder why board members step into wanting to get involved in operations. It's like, well, you spent half the meeting updating them on that. Right. So of right. course they're going to talk yes, about it. Yes. And I think, you know, this is such an important point and I would not want to leave people thinking that I would be encouraging going down that operational rat hole of detail with your board all the time, particularly your board chair. But here's where when you're kicking off your relationship with your board chair, you need to start by talking about how are we going to work together? And it's important to establish a ground rule with your your board chair that if it's okay for me to bring what's on my mind to you and and experience our relationship as a, a safe place to have you as a sounding board then i need to you to understand and tell me that you get it that i'm not inviting you to come in and tell me how to do my job i am inviting you to give me your perspective but it's it's creating a different kind of place and environment for us to have that conversation it's not you know telling you that i want you to change your role or the boundaries that we have together so i think that's a really important thing to establish up front because your board chair may not know how to interpret that and you know, Carol, we know that if boards don't have meaningful, you know, strategic leadership, uh, meaningful conversations, values-driven conflict conversations to have discussions about, they're looking for a way to make a difference and have meaning, they're going to go to what you leave them. And so if you're leaving them the details, that's the only place they know how to get engaged, you know, so be careful. Uh, and that's where your your board meeting agendas and, you know, people talk about generative boards and those kinds of conversations. And those are very important for that reason. And I mean, those are some of the basic things. But um, what are some ways that uh, a board chair and a, an executive director working together can really shape an agenda that that leads the board to have those more strategic conversations? Well, I think it all starts with having a good strategic plan, frankly. And um, I really think if, if all you have is the answer to this question, if we were really successful in advancing our mission three years from now, what results will we be creating? Will we have created? And if your board and you can answer that question and you've got a measurable three, four results that you're working at a high level, to achieve, then of course the next question, and if you haven't done this, this is definitely a board agenda item, is what's the board's role? You know, does the board have a role in achieving that particular goal? And if it does, what is it? And how's it gonna organize around it? And what result is the board gonna accomplish in say this first year toward that? So when that framework of this is your work, 
is in place, it, it creates the opportunity to look at how are we doing, um, how are things going. Um, also for board discussion is just how is the board functioning as a team? It's its own development, just like you should be thinking as an executive leader about your own development and what are you doing? So I think thinking through then those higher level strategic issues, any particular challenges, making room on the agenda for, for just discussing uh, and learning about what are some of the challenges facing the organization. I mean, um, so that I think is our, you know, you can't say exactly what's coming up for you, but that's what you want to bring up um, and shape that agenda. And you're going to have some ongoing work that you need board decisions around, you know, the regular oversight things, um, and again, the progress on the strategic goals. So if you have the framework around you, hopefully it makes it easier for you to know what do we need to talk about. Yeah. And I think just even having a practice around, you know, we're going we're gonna to consider one kind of higher level strategic question at every board meeting, um, mm-hmm. have, you know, and, and also separate out you know, is this a conversation to have a discussion about this and kind of brainstorm and just explore the issue? Um, you know, are we learning someone? Do we, are we getting some outside input about this? Um, or is this a point at which, you know, we've, we've spent plenty of time discussing and now we have a concrete proposal and we're going to make a decision. But I think people get real, you know, there's some folks who want to move to decision real quick and others who want to explore right. longer. So really being clear about where you are in the conversation right. on those strategic issues can be really helpful as well, I think. Yes. And, you know, I think just going through the process of creating awareness about decision-making, how are we making decisions? That could be a great conversation at a board meeting. I had a client who called me and said, come teach our board how to make decisions. And, I just had a conversation with someone this morning about that. Yeah, it's so and, hard for groups to, you know, they come with where where they've been, how they've done it in other places. All folks are operating from all sorts of different assumptions. So yeah, getting that out on the table and just kind of talking through, you know, how have we made decisions? How are how do we want to do that moving forward? Um, it's really that's important. Right. That's right. Yeah. And that was a very interesting challenge for me. It was a long time ago to really look at what do we know about decision making and, and, you know, high to this, this was a very high stakes decision. And there was a split vote on the board. And when the, the board, well, not knowing Robert's rules of order, which I don't recommend using, by the way, but I think you need something, but um they had thought that if someone calls for the question, you have to stop discussion. And that's actually not true. But when you stop discussion arbitrarily like that, because one person says, let's just vote, um, in this case resulted in a split vote and the, the one side of that vote got up and walked out of the room because they felt so um, discounted and not valued and they were not ready to make a decision. So, um, yeah, so be Robert, careful. Robert's had... rules can, they're, they're useful and they have their limitations. And when they you're do. in a messy, controversial conversation, it's probably time to put them aside a bit and, and just allow the conversation to go. And 
Um, yeah, you know, one thing that I've used that that you know often boards um, want to really have a high level of agreement and may even be trying to work towards consensus. And yeah. um, Sam Kaner has this thing, uh, kind of the the consensus continuum, where I don't know, it's like one to eight, like I'm totally for it, down to you know one being I veto this, and all the different gradations in between, yes. and just getting a sense of where people are. And you know, I was on a board where we had a, a high stakes uh, decision, and and it, and it really was um, you know not one where there was really a good solution. Um, and so we were we agreed ahead of time that as long as we got everyone to a three, which was, I think I can live with this. Can live like, with I don't it. love it, yeah. but I can live with it. Yeah. Um, that was going to be good enough because we knew yeah. that we weren't going to get to any, you know, solution that was going to just be really, that folks were yeah. gonna be super excited about. Wholehearted. Yeah. 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 Um, I think that that it's a good strategy for the board chair, particularly to stop discussion sometimes and just test and say, let's just do a sample vote here. So we see where are people on this? And it, it allows you to have a more efficient meeting if everybody agrees, but they aren't realizing they're agreeing, um, but also to allow for uh, some agreements about, well, let's talk about it for another 20 minutes or something. And I think that the value of pushing for consensus uh, is that people will stretch and be more creative about solutions if it isn't too easy to get there. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's an opportunity, but yeah. not always achievable as you right, know. Right, right. Yeah, and you talked about a third level where uh, the board chair and the executive are working really at a at what you described as a leadership level. Can you say a little bit more about what you mean by that and kind of- Well, this, this is what they that? were working. Yeah, now this is about what they're focusing on when they're together. And I like to, um, what I found in, in my research, and um, I can give you a link, I, it's not on the top of my head, but a link to an online journal that I wrote a summary of all this research in, so they can get a little more on this if they're interested. But, but it was interesting because the pairs that had the highest level of trust which we didn't talk about, but it's, it's called identification-based trust. And it's when you don't just know the person, you identify with them. And it's a little more personal. And those board chair and executives were sharing more, you know, personal, but appropriately personal. You know, like one board chair knew the executive director, this may seem silly, but it was really important, uh, collected teddy bears. He bought her a teddy bear, you know, little things like that. Well, the highest level of trust pairs were also the ones who most often were at this third level, which was cumulative, by the way. When they got together, they were focusing on, you know, what I called managing, planning, and then leadership. Now, at the leadership level, it was as if they were standing side by side, facing out into the community, but they had engaged the board with them. So whatever that took, to be thinking about being more outward on their impact, uh, more focused strategically on that versus some of the pairs that were, you know, maybe stuck a little more at the managing level where they were always working on what's going on in the organization, always focused only on the organization. The planning groups were focused on 
the organization sometimes, but also the board and working together more strategically. But the leadership level of pairs was more, the, the characteristic thing was that they were very doing all that, but also very outward oriented uh, about constituents, about impact, about things going on in the community. So I'm not sure how to describe it more than that. I'd have to go back to my transcripts. This is a long time ago and read okay. some of the stories. Uh, no, but, I think I think that gives a good kind of perspective of, and it's yeah, it's kind of you can kind of imagine lifting your head up and looking over to the you know to the horizon, exactly. looking outward rather yeah. than just kind of in in yeah. the details. Yeah, um, yeah, and so then it was cumulative. It wasn't mutually exclusive. It was right. just some um, pairs never got beyond mm-hmm. a certain focus, uh, and you know they. They were nobody agreed to be interviewed that didn't think they were doing a good job together. Sure. So in that sense, the 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 research was biased because I didn't have any horrible pairs. You know, I had people say, "Well, I don't want to be interviewed with my board chair." I interviewed them separately, but uh, they just didn't want to invite their board chair to participate. Right. Because right. of what was going on. So. Right. So. Um... What would you say kind of more broadly beyond the, the board chair and the executive, what, what would you say the executive um, needs to be cultivating in terms of the, you know, engaging the, the whole board? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there are some additional things. They overlap with the trust building. I mean, obviously, you need to do that. You need to build your relationships one-on-one, and you need to be there collectively with the board, not to control that you're the only one interacting with the board, as as you know. I mean, part of trust is trusting that your your staff can interact with the board without you having to be paranoid and controlling about that. But I think that one of the key issues where I see challenges for executives is in the communication. You know, you may have 12 to 15 board members and every single one of them has a different preference for how you communicate with them. How much should be provided on a particular issue. Some people want, you know, just give me the bottom line and other people want volumes. I mean, this was my experience when I was an executive. So I think being proactive with your board and as you get new board members having the conversation about what are their preferences, but then collectively as a board raising awareness that everybody has different preferences and getting the board to agree with you on how much they want, how they're going to communicate, and how do you manage, say, email communications? Do you have a subject line flag for action now, information only, um, when you can get to it? So communication agreements and guidelines that you create together are very powerful and can be very helpful for executives because they're not trying to meet the needs, you know, 14 different, 15 different people's needs for different kinds of communication um, and scope. Yeah, so, so the, that's the one of the key flags areas. that you're talking about on emails, you know, I've seen those on, a, on agendas and hadn't thought about like then transferring it to, yeah. you know, that information that you're sending out to folks of, you know, is this for your back, you know, for background, right. I need a decision, I need input right away. That, that's really key to like have some agreements around those so that yes. people can differentiate and, and really focus in on what's, what's the most important. Right. Yeah. right. And I think the other thing that I said about um, your competence, um, 
there's a gal who did some research on the board executive relationship years ago, uh, Maria Galensky, and she coined the phrase executive assets. And she said that that's something you want to keep your board informed of all the time. And that's kind of where I picked up this idea and then melded it with the concept of competence-based trust. Um, that's important for you to keep in mind. Um, and as you're building trust, of course, then you have the safety of not having surprises, which we all know. But different board members, again, are going to interpret a surprise differently. So sure, sure. I think that's important. We'll be back after this quick break. Mission Impact is sponsored by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector Consulting helps nonprofits and associations become more strategic and innovative for greater mission impact. Download free resources on strategic planning, program portfolio review, design thinking, and more at gracesocialsector.com slash resources. We're back on Mission Impact. Well, I'm going to shift gears a little bit here. On every episode, I play a game um, oh. where I ask <laughs> one random icebreaker question. So I've got one for you here. What's something about you that surprises people when they first hear it? Oh, boy. Um Something that surprises people when they first hear it. Um, I'm trying to think. I know there's there's something out there that, that I used to say. Well, uh, this one I don't like to say very often because I don't want to feel like I'm bragging. I have five degrees, huh? five All college right. degrees, and that surprises people sometimes. So I also, I don't have a middle name. Um, I used to sing when I was younger. Um, so there's a few little things like that that I don't talk about very often. To <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so what are you excited about? What's coming up next for you? What's kind of emerging in the work that you're doing now? Well, I'm close to finishing my book. Oh, that's exciting. So I'm very excited about that. I have the final chapter, which is the wrap-up chapter to write. And then, of course, it goes through that whole long process of deep editing and doing the book cover, blah, blah. But um, I'm really excited because this the book is based on, it's for executive directors, and it's based on a couple of my studies about boards, how boards get better, and what do you do about the problems you're having with your board? And I'll just quickly say that what I learned after doing a lot of research and case review was that every problem you have with your board fits into one of three areas, capacity, connection, and culture. And so I talk about that, give examples of that, but more importantly for executives, I talk about what are you gonna do about it? So I find that, and you probably do too, Carol, in your work, that a lot of times uh, when people have issues with their board, the solution is a capacity solution where they're saying, you know, just come and train my board about their job, their roles and responsibilities. I get this every week um, and then they'll be better board. Well, training is important, but it's not going to change behavior. So I'm hoping that my book helps executives understand when that's not going to be enough and when they need to look a little deeper and what they can do when they do feel the problems a little deeper so it's not so overwhelming. Well, so awesome. We'll so we'll have to have you 
I'll have to have you back on when the book is published. Oh, that would be great. That would so be So you already mentioned your your website and the the free um, resource that people can right. download about trust building. Right. So we'll make sure to to put those in Thank the show you. notes uh, so folks can can find them. Um, but yeah, thanks so much. It was great having you on and was great delving into that board chair board, uh, executive director relationship. That's just so key. Well, thank you, Carol. Thanks so much for having me. I, I love that you have a podcast out there too, and that we're able to reach people through this medium. It's very exciting, I think. And, um, I just want to wish your listeners well and encourage them to take care of themselves and encourage you to do the same and have absolutely uh, that's that's so important yeah all right well thank you so much you are welcome bye-bye i appreciated how mary links keeping your organization's board at a strategic level with first doing strategic planning i loved her question if we were really successful in advancing our mission three years from now what results will we be creating what we will what will we have created i heard a similar question recently that i've been using with my own professional planning what action can you take today that your future self will be thankful for and so for the organization taking that time to imagine itself 3 years from now where ideally it is then and then thinking through what are the 3 to 4 big goals we need to have to move us towards that ideal for me strategic planning is not about predicting the future or getting locked into goals that no longer serve the organization it's about creating the time and space for the organization to step back take an honest look at where it, it is currently envision where it wants to go and then think through through how it might get from here to there. Any planning process should have a periodic, at least, annual check-in, kind of like your annual checkup at the doctor, that looks at those goals and assesses what progress has been made, what needs to change to address the new realities, and what might need to be let go of. It is really about creating the time and space for that thinking and the discipline of strategic thinking rather than the document itself. How are you helping your boards think strategically about the future of your organization? Thank you for listening to this episode. You can find the links and resources mentioned during the show in the show notes at missionimpactpodcast.com slash show notes. That's missionimpactpodcast, all one word, dot com slash show notes. We want to hear from you. Take a minute to give us some feedback or ask a question at missionimpactpodcast.com slash feedback. Thanks and see you next time.